have with us once again Dr. Vijay Sazawal from the United States. He is a security affairs expert. He also has been writing about global affairs and especially in the recent past, he's been talking about the ongoing war in Ukraine. We are going to pick his brains at our platform called Reasons Virtual Episode uh, this time. Thank you very much. Dr. Sazawal, uh, you've been watching this four-month war almost now. Can you briefly tell us what is the status of the war? It's a war in European theater. It's a war between uh, one European country against the another European country. And uh, of course, the uh, the Russians uh, call it an operation. And I think they have the same probably legalese uh, that if they go to declare war, they probably have to get through their assemblies and uh, and parliament and so on and so forth. So they are calling it an operation. And uh, European side, uh, America has entered in as uh, what I will call as a proxy war. Again, U.S. has a constraint on from their from their uh, Congress in terms of declaring a war, but in effect, it is a proxy war in which United States is participating uh, as, as a partner, co-partner with the Europeans. The war has now dragged on for three months, and the first initial rea- reaction on the West was that it will probably finish in one week, and that didn't happen uh, because, uh, obviously, we can go into that later, um, the, some of the Russian expectations didn't uh, mature. Uh, uh, on the other hand, uh, in the proxy war, uh, it was believed that uh, within two months, to three months max, Russia will crumble because of the sanctions, and that has not happened either. Uh, Let so, me interrupt you here. Let me interrupt you here. You know, you have put this whole war uh, in a very different perspective from what we read in the Western press or even in the Indian press. Do you think that the way this war has been covered by global media, it's uh, given us a neutral picture of uh, the war? Uh, or do you feel that there is a certain perspective which is biased perhaps and quite prejudiced in favor of the West, in favor of the NATO countries? And then there is another side of the picture which is being projected by the Russian media or Russia's allies. Do you think that media has completely failed on capturing the comprehensive picture in Ukraine at the moment. Among the many challenges that we have is, especially in the United States, uh, where I am, uh, they have shut down all the Russian media outlets. Uh, We used to have access to Russian TV. We used to have access to Russian radio stations. We used to have access to uh, uh, Russian diplomats and their points of view. Uh, We used to have access to uh, Russian citizens in Russia uh, giving, I mean, when I say citizens, I mean experts, experts in, in, uh, in the uh, security matters, giving us their perspective. Um, and uh, you know, some of them used to work for Americans, like at the Carnegie Moscow Center and so on and so forth. But all those have been shut down. So we really have absolutely no knowledge in the United States other than obviously people who are catching on social media. Social media is vast, but you have to understand that doesn't really reflect the what I call the 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 Idaho, uh, the, the the farmer, the 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 bread and butter of American citizenry. 
which really isn't all that tied up to the social media as youngsters and some of the you know some of the professionals at the upper end are. So the middle America really knows very little about what's going on there other than what's being fed from uh, the Western sources because we have no access uh, to the information on the other side. As much as the Russians probably are doing their own propaganda on their side, but the only thing we hear is how uh, Russian uh, are not giving access to the British or BBC or other journalists or here journalists, which is ironic given the fact they have actually kicked out all the all the journalists from uh, from Russia over here. Uh, so we are getting absolutely one-sided views on both sides uh, to a large extent. Uh, so would not... you would you let me let me interrupt mm -hmm. again? So would you say that that uh, if if somebody reads both the Russian press and the American or, uh, you know, the Western press, then perhaps one could get a proper, complete picture about the war. That's true. That's true. And I will also say one thing. I think uh, the, in India, uh, I, I personally feel since I have access to Indian channels, I feel there's a little better, uh, 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 distinctly a little better uh, perspective because they do sometimes capture the news on the other side also, even though they have been mostly also kind of echoing the Western uh, version of the narrative, but they still have a little bit of the of the of the, uh, the Russian side. They have invited Russian uh, commentators on some channels and so on and so forth. So there's a little bit better there than it is really here, but the, the, there's no question the domineering aspect of the narrative comes from the Western sources. The biggest challenge in that narrative is, uh, uh, which people don't realize, is that Ukraine has passed certain laws which which ma which make a lot of their information classified. So that even if a journalist is actually in Ukraine, he cannot, under the Ukrainian law, which which he is obviously subjected to when he's when he's on the Ukrainian ground. He cannot report that news because he is covered by the fact that it's a classified news. Give you an example. Uh, they probably know how many uh, uh, Ukrainians have been killed, but they cannot report it because that's a classified number. So the only number that is illegal is the one that is issued by Ukrainian government. So you see how they 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 cover this uh, aspect of legality to essentially censor the news and to make it more palatable for Western journalists say, oh, the Ukrainian authorities said, you know, seven of our guys died and 1,000 of the Russians died. So, you know, even though that balance seems to be out of, completely out of the whack, for example, they are saying, oh, maybe a few thousand Ukrainians died and tens of thousands of Russians have died. One source said one third of the Russian army has been decimated. I mean, there are all kinds of reports that basically Ukraine feeds. So you have essentially a problem where the narrative is not only set actually because of the you know the biases within the networks and the and the people covering it, but also because they they are constrained by Ukrainians to cover the news that the way they want to present it, and that even in fact it makes it even a lot worse. In three months, what has Russia achieved in this military operation, quote unquote, and what has Ukraine achieved while fighting the Russians? Well. There is a little bit of uh, you have to go uh, a little bit of history uh, to understand uh, where we are. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, you know, going all the way back to 89, 1989, when Soviet Union uh, started destructing and the Berlin Wall came on and all that. But there was a period when the Soviet uh, uh, Empire disintegrated uh, the people on the eastern side of Ukraine. 
uh, essentially sought uh, uh, under the Ukrainian government a, an independence uh, uh, autonomy. And, uh, and, uh, and most Ukrainians actually were willing uh, to agree to it, uh, but the certain section did not. And it, this was the whirlwind uh, uh, ultranationalist, um, white supremacist, predominantly Catholic living in Western Ukraine. Uh, they did not agree to this autonomy, which was supposed to be under the under the uh, uh, Ukrainian government uh, to come through. And even though the the French and the Germans worked very hard, and that Americans, President Obama joined in, and they had this Minsk one and Minsk two agreements, which more or less would have given them that power, it didn't happen. Instead, what happened was to, this was 2014, and that's a very critical year, quite honestly, in this in this in this whole narrative. 2014 was also the one where when when Mariupol, uh, which was predominantly a Russian uh, uh, city at that time within Ukraine, well, these these ultra nationalists, uh, which is uh, which really have a, a military name called uh, Azov Regiment, they decided that they're going to teach them a lesson. So they went and essentially, uh, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, suppressed any kind of autonomy ideas, and then they entered the Donbas region in a big way. So from 19, from 2014 and 15 onwards to last time, these ultra-nationalists who had since, of course, also been absorbed as part of the National Guard of Ukraine. So they have been legitimized. So they were given essentially a legitimacy by the state of Ukraine uh, uh, because Ukraine thought, quite frankly, if they're fighting those guys on the eastern front of their country, it was OK. The problem is that those were all Russian speaking people and essentially a Russian uh, descendants living in that area. So for eight years, they have been begging the world to come to their aid that we had the Minsk one, Minsk two agreements. Nobody is enforcing them. Ukraine doesn't want to enforce them. And Russian government was always under pressure by, by its own people saying, what are you doing about our fellow Russians in Ukraine? They are getting massacred by these people. Well, th that was not recognized. So essentially origins of this, this, this operation began. But then Russians got a little more ambitious, and I think there was a major security failure, intelligence failure on part of Russians. They really believed, like the 2014 revolution in uh, coup in 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 Kiev, uh, when when ultranationals basically uh, sort of stumbled the government, the duly elected, democratically elected government in in Kiev in 2014. The Russians really thought this time because of us, because of the intelligence, whatever they had which was obviously faulty, That's that the Russian-speaking people in Kiev will wake up and get up and support us just like the ultranationals did in 2014 uh, when, they, when, they, when they basically, uh, you know, uh, got that, uh, pulled that government down. Well, that didn't happen. So all these, all these troops staying outside uh, the country uh, essentially never made it in because that coup did not succeed. And as a result, they had to be kind of they have to make their uh, their their objectives more realistic, and that realism was that we got to go back to what we all started with, which is that we got to get these people a decent life in the regions of Donbas. And of course, in that period, uh, things had changed. One of them was that they had not only declared autonomy; now they had gone one step further and declared independence. And Russia said, "Okay, we'll honor, we'll we'll respect, and we'll help you secure that independence." So. So the Russian goals have 
uh, I think, come down to a more uh, reasonable uh, sort of set of conditions. And uh, from the one so that how, they started. How, so how have you made that assessment that Russia is going to stop at so and so point or Russia is only aiming at capturing certain areas and going to leave? How have we made that assessment? Well, the, 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 that assessment mostly comes from their own statements. Uh, you know, they are basically ensuring, uh, I mean, they have uh, essentially said uh, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to essentially establish uh, this parameter which will allow uh, the Crimea uh, essentially a land access. I would say if there's anything hidden in their agenda, it is possibly that they will deny uh, the uh, sea access to Ukraine forever, which is which cannot happen if they don't take out Odessa. Now, Odessa is a problem because Odessa is actually, it used to be once the capital of a, a state called New New Russia, and it's really very Russian in its outlook, and it has got really tremendous amount of Russian art, heritage, and things like that. So taking it will will, will involve a lot of pain and, and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, uh, social disintegration. But do, you, of, do, you, do you think, because given, given uh, the areas that the Russians have captured so far, mm -hmm. it looks like they are heading towards Odessa, and there is a pushback from uh, Zelensky's forces, and as well as perhaps NATO, uh, well, who you said are, you know, there are, it's a proxy war. So it's a, it's a proxy war. Most of the military armament that has been received by Ukraine so far, it's really not that easy as they are making it sound on the on the on the in the news, because most of the most of the you know they have to move that stuff from west to east, and most of the lines of communication, whether they are railroad bridges, that sort of thing, they they have mostly been demolished. You can't really move a lot of heavy equipment from that side over to the eastern front so they are handicapped by the fact that whatever guns long range guns for example they had in the in the in the donbass region the guns are still okay but they have they are run out of ammunition which is russian because they were russian long range guns so now they are asking americans to provide them with the uh, long range guns and americans will probably get, get get it to them in 2 3 weeks and then you know have training and all that but so that's part of the way, in a way the dice is loaded against uh, Zelensky's forces, it's loaded against NATO. Well, that is very obvious from the reassessments that are now taking place. Uh, I want to spend a couple of minutes on this. I would say last two weeks, there is now a realization. And in fact, the last major town standing in Dunbar's is where there is fighting taking place today. I, I couldn't name it because it's a very long, lengthy, complicated name, but it's the last major town of any significance, and the battle is ranging there. And the latest reports are uh, that most likely uh, uh, Ukrainians are going to lose it. And if they lose it, then and, and essentially uh, they have cleared, uh, you know, they have cleared the landmass that they wanted, the Russians wanted over over the period. There is a reassessment that Ukraine is going to lose that area one way or the other. And the question now becomes, how do we bring a, a sense of stability and make Russians not go any further? And essentially, end ceasefire and and some agreement. So there has been discussion in Western countries on that regard. There is a uh, there is an Italian proposal in that regard. Yesterday, for the first time in a long time, uh, the French and the German chancellors, uh, German and the president of France, spoke for 80 minutes with Putin. Uh, 
they wouldn't give him two seconds, uh, quite honestly, uh, earlier. Uh, so I see, I see a realization creeping in in the Western si side that this war is really not going anywhere. The, you know, with the with the tamper down uh, ambitions of Russia, um, that they are actually basically creating a basis uh, for a long-term stay in the regions that they possess. Uh, so the last person, in a sense, who is still um, not convinced is obviously Ukraine. And Ukraine is really a very, very strange country right now because, you know, its president, uh, uh, a, 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 you know, a millionaire, a millionaire, you know, who just bought uh, bought a house about a year back in uh, Miami for over $100 million, is a, is a, is a really rich guy, uh, uh, wasn't expected to do much, but he actually has, you know, sort of uh, been chosen by the West as the as, as a, one of its star athletes. So he has got it in his head, and he basically is not yet allow, allowing himself or his staff to think in terms of actually understanding what is going on on the ground and 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 becoming a reasonable. Has have all these sanctions which the West imposed in Russia affected Russia in any way, or? Was it only to basically uh, almost penalize the rest of the world for this war? I think it has affected Russia in some ways, but it has not affected Russia uh, perhaps in the manner that the West had indicated. And part of the reason is that, uh, uh, and same thing goes with Chinese. I mean, they have been all buffering their their whether whether it's their technologies or whether it's their financial sector, whether it's their economic sector, export. I mean, they have been, they have been um, uh, sort of strengthening them. Uh, I mean, there are lessons out of uh, North Korea, lessons out of Iran, which is which I understand is actually uh, doing a lot of advising to uh, to the Russian uh, government. Uh, and so, so in a sense. All these countries have survived uh, the the sanctions, very punitive sanctions. So sanctions, really, at the end of the day, I don't think really work in that manner. But in this case, actually, it have they have had a vastly dramatically negative impact. And it's not only the the poorer countries that you speak about. the The truth of the matter is, in the United States, we have never seen gas at five dollars uh, about a gallon. Uh, we are we are in a tremendous inflationary stage. Uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, shelves are not filled with goods because we're told the the supply chain is disrupted. Uh, we have a stock market that is really crashing. Uh, you know, it's really gone. Uh, it's sort of floor has fallen through it. So we are having a tremendous uh, impact on the retirees, their their retirement funds, uh, their you know their way of living, the cost of funds. So it has impacted. Uh, very, very negatively all the way around. So that I think that I, I, I will be honest. I don't think as much as poor countries are really taking the brunt of that pain. It's not that it's as much affecting these uh, powerful nations as, as it is in their own backyards, understanding that is a, it has had very serious impact in their own country. Uh, it's very interesting because because, you know, grain is not being allowed uh, out of out of uh, Ukraine. So they are asking the Russians to allow it. And Russians are saying, well, you know, you are sanctioning me. And, and so I have to I have to have a certain consequence of that. And I'm ready to talk. If you guys uh, talk about sanctions, I'll talk about how we can get that grain out of Ukraine. So, um, so it's th it's that that aspect of the business is there too. So let me let me let me uh, let me ask you another question. Uh, 
because as we you are predicting and as we are seeing the situation on the ground in ukraine it looks like russia will have complete control over black sea and therefore will have the leverage and the power to control the supplies from both ukraine and russia so where does that bring uh, all of us who are dependent on russia's or uh, ukraine supplies and where does it uh, take the west from here on because of if if russia really gets complete control of the black sea where will be the west in this whole scenario do you have to understand the the real constraint is really finances uh, uh, why western countries are thinking differently ukraine needs about 7 billion dollars a month to survive these 7 billion dollars basically are what what keeps the salaries of of uh, of government employees their pensions uh, basic uh, water electricity that basic kind of infrastructure going 7 billion dollars um their country is in a situation right now because of both uh, the destruction of their you know machinery of their uh, mechanical uh, aspects of the business as well as uh, the uh, exports curtailment uh, they they can raise about 2 billion a month so they need 5 billion a month to survive at the beginning all these countries were very enthusiastic yes we will support them but reality is uh, you know in 3 months in the war people are realizing you know we cannot keep this uh, this spaghetti uh, running 5 billion dollars a month is not a joke especially when you look at the ukrainian i mean when you look at the european the european really haven't given much money as much as they talk a lot you know because at the end of the day war is a, a, a symptom of failed leadership and democracy and diplomacy so both True. diplomacy and leadership uh, failed in this case uh, united states really does bear a lot of burden on that leadership and diplomacy uh, and and uh, unfortunately it's not the best of the times in the united states and in terms of the administration i, I want to i want to i want to bring your attention to one uh, major issue a lot of people have differing opinion on the impact of this war on china a lot of people some people say that uh, it has affected china badly and some people say that it has actually strengthened russia china partnership would you agree with either of the opinions where does china stand in this war first of all uh, uh, for anybody to think china is is intimidated by these uh, these moves of uh, west or anything like that uh, they are living in a fool's paradise uh, china is a civilizational state just like india Uh, uh we don't necessarily get intimidated because you know we have you know outside sources are 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 trying to dictate what what happens we have we have we have our own capacities uh, we have a legacy of thousands of years years of survival as a civilization we don't get intimidated chinese are not intimidated at all what chinese are doing right now are they are learning the process you know what 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 is happening what are these countries doing and how can i neutralize that 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 thing if really tomorrow the charges against me because at the end of the day there was always an argument that that really the world order capturing the world order new world order is really the main goal and that is the theme which in which united states and china will eventually lock themselves lock their horns um and 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 this was a diversion that really wasn't needed and i think 
Dr. Kissinger put it, and you know, who is a, I would consider one of the masters of real politics. He, he said, the West, what West is doing is they are really uh, getting Russians and uh, Chinese together. And um, these wouldn't, because because Russia is a European country. See, that's what he says. This is a, 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 a new order will take place if we don't do anything about it, because these boundaries of historical uh, dimension, which are kind of un written boundaries where a European country will actually align with an Asiatic country to create a, com a combine that will essentially be a challenge to the rest of the European countries and, and the Western world. I think that's a major, major statement that he made. Now, as I said, most of the American and Western press played him down because he was obviously telling, telling things that they are not projecting. How are we going to prevent the Chinese-Russian alliance if we keep doing these kind of things that we are doing right now in Ukraine. And that is a challenge in my point of view, which is not easily answerable. Now, my last question. With the kind of rhetoric that we are seeing on the Ukraine Ukrainian war, we are seeing a polarized world. We are seeing uh, a whole bunch of people who are supporting Zelensky, who are supporting Ukraine. And there is a section of the world, in fact, several countries, dozens and dozens of countries who did not vote against Russia at the United Nations, even as several resolutions were brought in to condemn Russia's attack on Ukraine. So uh, it seems that at least half of the world was not on the NATO side. Can you put this in perspective? One, that how is this rhetoric going to shape the worldview of billions of people, you know, Seven billion, seven and a half billion people. And second, how is this polarization eventually going to get neutralized, or will it even get neutralized at some stage? I think there will be. One of the reasons is, uh, fortunately, is that you know uh, most of the uh, uh, you know information war on social media, quite quite frankly, is sort of like flavor of the month. It really moves uh, along as it is dictated uh, uh, by the by the deep state, and and United States actually con controls most of that information dissemination. And United States, uh, for all its faults, has one wonderful attribute, which is when it leaves an idea behind, it really leaves an idea behind. It's not again. That's a tendency of civilizational countries, which which where where the where the schisms run very deep, and and people don't forget, and forgive the the past uh, uh, commissions and omissions uh, united states is a way of doing those things because you know it basically moves from uh, from you know and that in a sense controls the uh, considerable amount of western opinion so i would think that yes once this thing is over uh, i wouldn't be surprised if all these mcdonald's and all these country companies will be back there in russia uh, that's a big market, and uh, and they are they cannot afford not to be there. They just don't want to be on the wrong side at this time in public relations war. That's the war that is being fought, uh, you know, sort of tooth and nail right now. But in my view, uh, this too shall pass, and uh, on onwards to something next. <laughs> I mean, that's part of oh, the yeah. military-industrial combined uh, industrial uh, game. Well, this has been once again a fabulous, enlightening, fascinating conversation. Thank you for being with us and enlightening us about Ukraine today. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. I wish you all well.